I hope you've already worshipped. I hope you've already worshipped. Because every one of those songs talks about the risen Savior. In the last part of that song, it says, I, He is risen. You know why I know it? Because he, she said, I talked to him this morning. I've already talked to him this morning. I hope you have too. Jim French, lead us in prayer, will you please, sir? Thank you, Jim. We'll be in 1 Corinthians 15 if you want to kind of get there. Uh, like I tell you, every Sunday, we'll eventually we'll get there. What would you say is the single most greatest event in the history of the world? I think Americans might say July 4th, 1776, Independence Day. Or they might say December 7th, 1941, uh, the day that lives in infamy when the Japanese attacked the United States. That was a big day. Some would say September 11th, 2001 was another really big day in the life of America. If you want to look at it spiritually, the greatest event, I, I guess you could say that uh, Adam and Eve in the garden... And when they took that first bite of the fruit that they weren't supposed to bite into, bringing sin into the world, that was a big day. That affects everybody. Or maybe that, uh, that morning when that baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's a really big day. But I think the biggest day in the history of days was the day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and walked around this old earth for 40 more days and then he ascended into heaven. To me, that is the greatest day. I, I, was, I heard a preacher talk about uh, this week and said one of, the, one of the greatest things was the resurrection. I mean, here, I'm here to tell you it's not one of them. I believe it was the greatest event 
in all of history. Because you see, because of the resurrection, there is a difference in the world today. And that difference is a resurrected Jesus Christ. We're going to look at that today. The Difference Maker is the title of the message, The Resurrected Jesus. You know, it, it's kind of sad, I guess you might think, that, that when Jesus rose from the dead and walked out of that old tomb, that there was no fanfare. There wasn't any cameras. There wasn't any reporters. There wasn't any, any, any acts of Congress, if you would. None of that was going on. The disciples who should have known better were not at the tomb. They were hiding out somewhere. Jesus had told them what was going to happen on that morning, that Sunday morning, but now nah, it just didn't ever set in with them. Kind of sad. The soldiers that were there, the government leaders that heard about it, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, all those religious folks of their day, uh, didn't believe it. Skeptics, they made up lies, you know, false, fake news, disinformation. They all spread it because they didn't want anybody to really believe that, that uh, the Messiah had really resurrected from the dead. They didn't want any of that happening. You know, I think today people uh, kind of think the same thing. I think there's skeptics out there that, that really... Uh, don't want to buy into the idea of a risen Savior, a resurrected Jesus. They want to spend Easter with Easter bunnies and coloring eggs and, and hiding Easter eggs. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm, we're we're going to do that this afternoon. But that is not the focus of Easter. You see, the focus of Easter is that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. And he died on a cross, and three days later he rose from the grave, and he walked out of that grave. And he, and he served and ministered for the next 40 years to hundreds and hundreds of people. And then, and then he, the Bible tells us in, in Acts that he ascended into heaven, and he now sits at the right hand of the Father. Hebrews 12, 2 says it this way. He says, fixing your eyes on Jesus the author and the perfecter of your faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and now sits at the right hand of the Father. Today, our focus should be, needs to be, has to be on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. That's what Easter is, the risen Savior. You see, Paul was, was having to deal with this in his writings, the Apostle Paul, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And he was dealing with this, and he was talking to him. And, and if you don't remember anything about Paul and, and the Corinth, he went there on his second missionary journey. And he went to this town, and, and, and it, was, it was a big city, and it was a wealthy city, and it was known for its, uh, it, its worldwide trading. And, and the city of Corinth uh, was known also for its... Uh, uh, idol worship. It was known for its immorality. It was just running rampant. And the Apostle Paul went to this city and he preached the gospel. And the Bible says many, many, many folks got saved. Many folks got saved. And it says they even formed a church at, at, at Corinth. And it's just a picture. It's just a picture of, of, of what God can do. 
that when Paul went there and the gospel, the light of the gospel went to those folks in this wicked, wicked city. And what happened? God changed lives of those people. And they, and they formed a church. And, and, and you could almost say that there is nothing impossible that God can't do. Because these folks were off the chart in terms of being sadistic and, hit, and just nothing wanting to do anything about the Lord. They, were, they had their idols to worship. And yet God in His power saved folks and brought them together and they formed this church. What a great thing that that had to be. But as time went on, the Bible tells us, as time went on, that some of those folks in the congregation began allowing false teachers and false ideas and false prophets to come into their thinking. And they began to listen to that. And, and these falseness was, was telling them that there is no resurrection or that, that salvation is not just grace. Salvation would be grace plus something. Grace plus works Grace plus good deeds. Grace plus giving in the offering plate. Grace plus baptism. And, and these ideas were, were coming into this church. And people began to believe it. And they started moving away from this idea of resurrection and thinking, ah, oh, this stuff is pretty good. And Paul is warning them in this chapter 15, don't do that. Don't allow that to come into your church. Don't allow that to come into your heart. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about that very same thing. Allowing a falseness to come in. And I gave you three things that I said, don't ever let that happen to it to you. And I told and I told you this. Number one, don't listen to it. Number two, I told you don't buy the book. And number three, I told you to run in the opposite direction from a falseness. Because if you give the enemy a crack into your heart, into your mind, into your soul. He's going to take it, and he's going to use it to divide you, to divide a church. And that's what was happening to this church in Corinth. I, I beg you not to allow that to happen, and Paul is saying the very same thing. We read in verses 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 of chapter 15 that Paul's going to talk about the resurrection. And, it's, and he's going to tell us that the resurrection is true because the gospel declares it. So let's look at these verses real quick. Uh, beginning at verse 1, I'm going to read through 4, and then let's see what it has to say, okay? In verse 1, he says, Now I have made known to you, Paul says, brethren, that's Christians of the, that church, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you have been saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. And then 3 and 4. For I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Jesus died for your sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul says, I preach the gospel to you. What is the gospel? What was Paul preaching? What did he tell these folks that changed their lives completely? Well, the gospel is in verse 3 and 4, that D Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, and he rose again the third day. And in verse 3, Paul says, that is the first importance of things that I told you was the gospel. Paul would say, when I came to you, you guys at this church, he said, I didn't come talking sports. I didn't come talking about politics. I didn't come talking about making tents or fishing or, or current events. He said, I came to you 
telling you the most important thing in the history of histories. And that is, I told you the gospel. Nothing else compares to that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus rose again. He said, that is the most important message. And I brought that message to you. And I'm bringing that same message to you here in this auditorium today. That, that the gospel is the most important thing. Nothing, nothing overshadows the gospel. And that is what Paul is trying to tell them here. Don't let anything become more important don't let the easter bunny the eggs or the hunting become more important than the gospel today and then he goes on to say in those verses he said he says the gospel which i preach to you he says you have received you have received paul said when i preached the gospel to you 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 heard it and you responded to it and you accepted the gospel and he said that same gospel that you heard and that you received motivated you to build a church, to start a church in this wicked, wicked area. And I'm here to tell you today, that same gospel that was used to build a church in Corinth, that same gospel just two years ago when I was in Zimbabwe, when 40 people got saved and, and in that small little town of 40 that got saved, guess what happened? A church was formed because of those 40 were saved. The same gospel, the same power that started a church in Corinth started a church in Zimbabwe. And that same power and that same strength and that same glory started a church at 601 Main Street just a few years ago in Arapahoe. Oklahoma, because you see, the gospel never changes. The gospel never changes, and the power of the gospel never changes. And why does it never change? Because we worship the risen or resurrected Jesus Christ. That's where that power comes from. That's where the power comes to receive it, is because we have a risen Savior that we, that we serve. Paul will also go on to tell us that the gospel which I preach to you, you also stand in verse 1. You also stand on that very same gospel. Do you stand on the gospel? Have you believed what God's word says? Have you trusted in what is on in this book? Do you allow this book to impact your lives? Paul's saying, you received it, are you standing on it? Are you allowing this book to impact the way you live? Do you allow this book to change the way you are proceeding in life? Do you allow it to make changes within you? Paul says, I want you to stand on his promises. I want you to trust his promises. I want the promises of God's word to impact you and to change you. Well, what does that mean? Well, God's word says, I want you to obey What's in here? Do you obey what's in here? If you do, God's word is impacting your life. When God tells you to forgive the unforgivable, and you do, that's God's word impacting your life. You're standing on God's promises. When God tells you to love, when he says, I want you to love me with all my heart and soul and mind, and then he says, I want you to love them, the unlovable. 
Are you allowing God's word? Are you standing on his promises? Are you allowing it to impact your life? When things happen in your life, do you take that stance that this is what I know God's word says? I'm going to do it. Or not. When he says walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Are you walking in a manner that, that God said this is how I want you to walk? Are you being obedient to that? Paul said, I want you to stand on his promises of his word. I want his word to impact your life. Then I think there's a second point here on standing on his promises. Because you see, in, 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 in Paul's time, when you became a Christian, you had a good chance of being persecuted. You had a good chance of being threatened. You had a good chance of being mocked, made fun of because of the gospel. And I'm sure those folks in that, in that church of Corinth as they planted that church and evil and darkness was all around them, you can just imagine as they walked into that building what they were hearing. What they were hearing. Paul says, stand on that. Stand on your promises. Don't back down. Don't step off that ladder. Stand on your promises. Paul, he would remind them that, that the disciples, all but John, were killed because of the gospel. They were willing to give their lives. Why? Because they stood on the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We find people all over the world today, all over the world today, are being martyred. Their lives are being taken. Why? Because of the gospel. Because they have chosen to stand on God's word. And when the enemy says, you can't do that, and they say, oh, yes, I can and I'm going to. I'm never going to deny my risen Savior. And they give their life for that. They're standing strong. But what about us? What about us? What happens when we get a phone call and it's something we don't want to hear? What happens when, when, when uh, we, we lose a loved one? What happens in your life when finances go south for the winter? What happens when struggles come? What happens when the rivers of life start flowing? And the rivers of life and the water gets to your ankles and then it comes to your knees, if you would, and it comes to your waist and, and, the, and, and life is happening and the river is flowing and now it's coming up around your neck. And life is just hard. Life is just hard. Are you going to stand on his promises? Are you going to stand and believe this word is true no matter what, no matter if I'm about to drown in life? I will never not stand for God's word. I think that's what he's telling you. You've received his word. You've accepted his word. Now he says, I want you to stand strong. And how can we do that? How can we stand that strong? It's because we have the resurrected Jesus Alive and well, even as we speak today. Hmm. Third thing Paul says, he says, The gospel I preached to you in verse 2, by which you were saved. By which you were saved. Man, you've received him. You're standing in his promises. That is living proof that you've been saved. That's living proof that your sins have been forgiven. That's living proof that the burden of sin is no longer on you. 
that did you know because you were born again and you're standing on his promises that you have victory over sin. Sin does not have to defeat you. It can take you to your knees. It can battle you. But it can never have victory over, over you unless you allow it to happen. Because you've been saved. Because you've been saved, the Bible says you have eternal life in heaven. The Bible says you can have the abundant life right now. And, and where does all that come from? Where does that power come from? Knowing that you've been saved and you have victory and you have eternal life. You know where that power comes from? It comes from the resurrected Jesus that walked out of that tomb and is alive and well today. You cannot, you cannot say the resurrected Jesus has no power. He has all the power for you to live this life like he's called you to live. In verses 5 through 8, I move quickly. Paul says, I'm going to give you some eyewitnesses here to the resurrection. He said, just don't take my word for it. I mean, there's proof right there. But here are some eyewitnesses to this resurrection. Now, this is not all of them, but this is just some of them. And we read in verse 5, he says, and he, Jesus, appeared to Peter or to Cephas. Now, just think about that. Peter was this arrogant follower, boastful follower, who on the night of Jesus' crucifixion, he goes, he goes, man, Jesus, I'm with you all the way, buddy. I'm with you all the way. If it means we're going to die, we're going to die together. I am behind you 100%. Let's go. And within hours, as he is standing out there warming his hands on the fire in Caiaphas' courtyard, and a little girl comes up to him and says, aren't you one of them? Uh, Not me. Aren't you one of his followers? I thought I saw you with him. No, 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 not me. Denies him three times. Denies him three times. You almost say, man, what a loser, Peter. You talk a good game, Peter, but man, your actions just, you're a loser, Peter. But it wasn't just a few more days after that when the risen Savior came to Peter. And he said, Peter, I'm alive, Peter. I am well, Peter. And we find out that Peter became one of the greatest evangelists in the history of evangelism. What was the difference in Peter's life? What caused him to go from a a loser to the greatest evangelist ever? He came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. That's power. We see that he came to the 12 in verse 5 of the disciples. He came to the disciples and, and we know the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, what did they do? They all ran. <laughs> we got to get the heck out of Dodge. They're coming after us. We got to go protect ourselves. And they went and hid in an upper room. And they locked the doors and they locked the windows and said, We shh, shh. We don't want anybody to know we're here. And they were scared. And they were worried about their life. But in a few days, the Bible tells us the resurrected Jesus came to them came to them and they came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. And the Bible tells us those disciples then went from scared little kittens to preaching the gospel all around the world. All around the world. What changed those disciples? It was coming face to face with the resurrected Jesus. That's what changed them. In verse, in verse 6 we read about the 500 brethren at one time. The 500 folks that witnessed Jesus. Where were those 500 when the crucifixion happened? Oh, no. After the crucifixion, where were they? I don't know. 
Days after the crucifixion, where were they? I know where they were. They were in Jerusalem, the Bible says. And there this group was there, and there's 500 of them. And, and, and the Bible tells us that persecution started happening in Jerusalem. Persecution happened, and they started rounding up Christians, and they were going to kill them and behead them. And the Bible says these 500 fled. These 500 left Jerusalem, and they fled. But you know what else the Bible says about those that left Jerusalem and tried to protect themselves? It said they took the gospel with them. And now, instead of trying to stop the gospel like the government wanted to, now all they did was they spread it out across the known world. And the Bible says they took the gospel with them. Here they were scared for their lives and they left Jerusalem. But when they came face to face with the resurrected Jesus, what happened to them? They left and they went to tell the known world that there is a risen Savior out there and you need to worship Him and you need to serve Him. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. And then we read in 7, verse 7, that He appeared to James, James's half-brother, who the Bible says... I know this Jesus, and, and he ain't the Messiah. There is no way he's the Messiah. I know with him. I've, I grew up with him. I played ball with him. I helped build things with Dad. He's not the Messiah. But the Bible says Jesus came to him after the resurrection. And the Bible says James, when he became face to face with the risen Lord, declares, You are the Messiah. You are the king of kings. You are the resurrected Messiah. And, and James went from a doubter to a guy that became the, the head pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, one of the greatest churches ever, ever brought together. He went from a nothing, a skeptic, to a guy that says, yes, I will lead this church. We read about him coming to the Apostle Paul. And you know Apostle Paul, the great persecutor of Christians. He said, I don't deserve any of this. But when he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus, what happened to him? His life got changed. He went from a person killing Christians to a person that saved Christians, if you would. And the Bible says he wrote most of the New Testament where did that power come from? Where did that come from that he, he went from killing, Jew, killing the Jews to saving the Jews? Because he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus, the difference maker in all these men's life, the difference maker in your life too. Did you know it? At the age of 12, Northwest Baptist Church, I came face to face with my Jesus. I was sitting there in Sunday school class one day, and it was, a, it was an auditorium full of kids. It was kind of kids' day. And I remember the preacher preaching and, and talking, and, and there was something that really felt uneasy in my heart at that time. And when he got done, and he got done there, he said, Man, all I want you guys to do, if you want to accept Christ as your Savior, all you got to do is take one step out of the pew and just come on down this row. Well, that sounded good, but all I could do is hang on to that pew, and he said it again. And he said it again, and he said it again. Let's take one more step out of that pew and just come accept Jesus. And the more he said it, the more I hung on to that pew in front of me. Can't do it. No one to do it. Nah, I'll do it, I'll do it tomorrow. 
And I've told you before, tomorrow never comes. There is no tomorrow. I remember walking out of that aisle and, and, and accepting Christ as my Savior at the age of 12. And I've never been the same. Life is not always easy. Life is not always perfect. But when I came face to face with the resurrected Jesus, when I understood that I was a sinner and I, I needed saving, I accepted him as Lord and Savior. If he had not been risen, I would never have wanted to do that. You see, when I got saved, he gave me a new purpose in life. He gave me a new priority in life. He gave me a new passion in life. And he also gave me a new plan in life. Because you see, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Behold, the new has come. When you got saved, you became a new creation. Because of the resurrected Jesus. When you got saved, you got a new purpose and a new plan, a new priority, and a new passion. At least you're supposed to. Well, you say, I can be saved without being changed. No, you can't. You can't. You see, salvation begins with a heart transplant. At the age of 12, I had that. I hope you have had the same heart transplant that I have had. What happens if there was no resurrection? What happens if there was no resurrection? Well, the writer here tells us, if you look there, in verse 13. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. If God can't raise up his son who died, he can't raise up anybody. Not going to happen, Paul says. If there's no resurrection, if he couldn't get Jesus out of that grave, he's sure not going to get you and I out of that grave. If there's no resurrection. It says the same thing in, in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, he says, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Why preach the gospel? Why share the gospel? Why want to be a part of a building, a church, a group of people? If there is no resurrection, all that is in vain. You might as well lock the doors and leave now. If there is no resurrection, the preaching is in vain, the sharing is in vain, your faith is in vain. You have nothing if there is no resurrection. We read in, in verse 16, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Yes, if there's no resurrection. In 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. If there's no resurrection, what you believe is faith is in vain. Has no bearing whatsoever in your life. Just go about your business, live in life, hoping that you have a good life. Dead and gone, you're forever if there's no resurrection. He said that's all in vain. He says, your sins are not forgiven. Woo, your sins are not forgiven if there's no resurrection. And then he says, for those who have fallen asleep, in verse 18, Christ, they have perished. There is no hope. What's he saying there, if there is no resurrection? If there is no Savior. If there is no Savior, if, if your Savior is just like Muhammad and Buddha and Confucius and Joseph Smith and all them other guys out there, if that's who your Savior is, you're out of luck. If there is no Savior, that means there is no salvation. 
Do you get that? If there's not a, a Savior, there is no salvation. And if there is no salvation, there is absolutely no hope for eternity. If there is no resurrected Savior, there is no hope without the resurrection of Jesus. Without the resurrection of Jesus, your faith is worthless. Your sins have never been forgiven. Without the resurrection, when you die, it is over. Case closed. You're there forever and forever in that grave. Without the resurrection. You wonder why I say the greatest event in the history of all events is the resurrection? Yeah. But then there's a great verse. Absolutely a great verse. And that's number 20. Number 20. But now, <laughs> Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. I'm going to repeat that one. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead. I'm going to say that one more time. Make sure you're hearing it, okay? And, and, and maybe it's okay to even throw an amen if you want to. I don't know. But now Christ has been raised from the dead. There you go. There you go. The greatest event in the history of histories, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. I don't know about you, but that ought to pump your chili. I'm just serious, okay? That ought to make you excited. Because when he rose from the dead, guess what? We have a Savior, okay? And because we have a Savior, we have salvation offered to you and I. We have this free gift. God said, just take the free gift of my son, and you have salvation for eternity. And if we have a Savior and we have salvation, guess what? We have a hope for eternity. We have a hope for eternity. Man, it just don't get no better than that. Your faith is powerful now because we have a resurrected Savior. You see, you understand something here. When, when, when we have a resurrected Savior and we have believed in Him and trusted in Him, the Bible tells us that we have been chosen by Him. We've been adopted by Him. We have been redeemed by Him. We have been forgiven by Him. We have been blessed by Him. We have been sealed for eternity by Him. Now, I don't know about you, but that faith is pretty powerful knowing that that is what He did when we accepted Him as Lord and Savior. You know what? Without the, with a resurrection, our sins can be forgiven. With a resurrection, we can be cleansed from every sin that we ever had. Because of the resurrected Jesus, that when we die on this old earth and our eyes are closed for the last time, the Bible says our spirit goes immediately into the presence of God. And one day, one day, when the shout from heaven and the archangel sounds and the trumpet of God is blown and the rapture happens and we leave this old grave to meet him in the air forever and forever and we receive our glorified bodies. Why do we get to do that? Because of the resurrected Jesus, who's alive and well and prospering and wants us, every one of us in this building, to join him with salvation. Why is the risen Savior, why is Easter, why is today the greatest event in the history of events? Because it affects every one of us. 
Every person in this room, every person outside of this room, every person in Zimbabwe, every person in Washington, D.C., the risen Savior affects everybody. Because you see, you see, your eternity is determined by what you do with the resurrected Savior. What are you going to do with him? Are you going to be the skeptic that nah, I don't really believe that? I don't, I don't believe that. I mean, and that's what, if you don't believe that, that's fine. I mean, he gives you the choice. But according to Scripture, Paul says, according to eyewitnesses, according to changed lives by the millions, there is a resurrected Savior. If you've been born again today and you're a Christian man, I want to encourage you with those words. That somewhere down the road you have received Christ as your Savior. Okay, you made that decision. That's great. It don't get no better than that. And he said, and you received it and responded to the gospel, super. And he said, now, I want to encourage you too now to keep standing. Keep standing on the gospel. Keep standing on God's word. Keep standing on his promises. Keep walking the walk in a manner worthy that God has called you to walk. And he says, and when you do that, it's living proof to the outside world that you've been saved. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. And that all comes from the resurrected Jesus. Okay? Without him, we have no hope. Without him, the Bible says, we are men who are most pitied. That's what the Bible says. I believe that's verse 19. Yeah, verse 19. If you've never been born again, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, man, wouldn't it be a great day on Easter to do that? I mean, just think about that. And you accepted Christ as your Savior. The Bible says there are dancing in the streets in heaven. They are so excited that another one has come to be with him. They're dancing in the street. The Bible says even they're setting another plate at the table so that when we are called up after that rapture day, we meet at the marriage feast of the Lamb. You have a place setting already with your name on it, and that's only for the believers. Man, what a great day that would be. You see, you see God tells us we're all sinners. Did you know it? I mean, we're all sinners. Every person in this room is a sinner. Okay? Romans 3.23, we've all sinned. And the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, said, the wages of that, the consequences of that sin is death. That is, yes, physical death. And if you never accept Christ, it's also spiritual death. That's a double dip, if you would. But the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, he says, if you will just confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, what does it say after that? You shall be saved forever. Where does that come from? It comes from the resurrected Jesus. Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, thou shalt be saved. Only made possible because we serve a risen Savior. We serve a Savior who died, buried, walked out of the tomb three days later and is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. Don't get no better than that. Rhonda, as we begin invitation time, 
I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe that there is a resurrected Savior? And have you received Him? And have you are standing on His promises? If you're not, the altars will be open. So as we close our eyes and bow our heads, if, if, if conviction is, is, is hitting you, if you feel uneasiness in your stomach like I did at the age of 12, I'm going to tell you what the pastor told me. He said, step out now and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Not a hard concept. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved. As the piano plays, I'm going to ask you to do business with our Lord and Savior. If you are, feel led to join our church, today, now will be the time to, let's do that if you want to. If you want to accept Christ, do it now. Come join, do it now. You have a need, spiritual need, physical need, we'll pray over that for you. Today is the day. Now is the time to make that happen. <laughs> that girl.